I mean, I think if you get on stage and you don't say F the police, like right then and there, yeah. it's like, you ain't down enough, dog. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, and, like I'm getting to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? From First Look Media and Panoply, this is Politically Reactive, the show where two comedians try to make sense of politics in America. I'm Debbie Kamal Bell. Well, this week it's just one of those comedians because the other comedian is too busy and is working on his TV pilot. But it's fine because we have a special guest from the award-winning podcast Good Muslim, Bad Muslim. It's Zara Norbosh. Hey, Kamal, I'm not America's boy toy, Hari Kondabolu, but I am here speaking on behalf of all Muslims. You're welcome. On today's show, we're talking to the amazing Chicano-American band from East L.A., Las Cafeteras. Their genre-defying music has garnered international acclaim. In particular, they're heralded for their live shows and their rich storytelling and community-focused political messages. And I got to hang out with them at the Opportunity Agenda at Sundance, where you guys recorded this interview. And weren't they on United Shades of America? That's right, Zara. They were. Which means they're my friends. They're mine, too. But not hurries. And even though this interview was recorded over the summer, the issues about being Latino in America remain the same. You know, because we still got that one dude who wants to literally build a wall between us and Mexico. Can't remember what Donald Trump's opinion is on Latinos. When Mexico sends its people, they're sending people that have lots of problems. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. It's coming from more than Mexico. And don't let that bum you out, because you're also going to hear some amazing music in this episode, some of which is from Las Cafeteras' new album, out next February. Now, are we also going to talk about that huge hurricane that hit America over the weekend? Hurricane Matthew? Hurricane Trump. Oh, yeah. We're getting into that. It's all coming up on Politically Reactive. So, yeah, everybody, there's no hurry today. He is off working on his TV pilot. If you're listening to this on a Wednesday, you can actually still go. Go to blacklistnyc.com slash hurry, and you can find out uh, how to get tickets to that. But he is in the interview with Las Cavateras, which is an amazing interview that we did at the Sundance Opportunity Agenda. But because the world's on fire, we brought in a special guest, my friend from the podcast, Good Muslim, Bad Muslim, Zara Norbosh. Hey, what's up? So thanks for coming in, Zara. No problem. If Hari can never come back, I can also like just pop by forever. <laughs> That's good to know. I'll get your information before you leave to, to have you on speed dial. What's up? So uh, you are a very outspoken person. Uh, you talk about whatever you want to talk about. You are an out-of-the-closet Muslim, correct? I am, yes. like as of two weeks ago. Out of the closet. Well, yeah, I actually meant out-of-the-closet as a Muslim, but now you're actually an out-of-the-closet Muslim. Muslim is kind of the new gay. Is it? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm going to let you handle that. Uh, <laughs> recently, you had a piece in Bitch Media, and today being when we record this National Coming Out Day, this is very relevant, that was called Coming Out as Bi When You're Muslim and Married. I did. And I also did a recording with PRI's The World. Oh, of the of the uh, article? I did. And uh, talked on AJ Stream. So you're saying that it's been good for your career to come out as bi when you're married and Muslim? not going to play <laughs> with usurping platforms as a benefit to my career so much. <laughs> I just think that it's um, interesting to travel, Yes, like, not to the Middle East ever again, basically. Wow. Are you serious? Do you, I mean, are you serious? Do you feel like this is, like, my goodbye? Like, you're, because your family's from Iran. 
Yeah, I can't go back. This is like no going back to Iran. That's done. Wow, that's intense. Yeah, <laughs> this homophobia is kind of an international problem. Yeah, that's. I mean, I certainly understand that. I just never, I never would have connected to like, I can't actually go back to an area of the world again because I've come out of the closet. It was a big decision. So, did was it a hard decision to come to? Uh, it felt absolutely necessary for me. I want to, I want to make that really clear because I think there's this aspect of coming out culture that's like everybody needs to come out or you're a coward, and that's not really true. And people also have to stay safe and do what's important for them. And it's National Coming Out Day today when we're recording this. And so it's important to mention that. For me, I felt like in the wake of Orlando where there was all this talk about Muslim solidarity with the LGBTQ community as though there's no no intersection, I felt like, um, wait a minute. Yeah, that's that's true. I feel like Orlando was the first time a lot of people realized you could be like, you know, uh, Latino and gay and, and Muslim and gay and <laughs> black and gay. Like it was like, right. we all, yeah, that was a... We're all three-dimensional beings here. Yeah. With fluid sexuality. Yeah. Well, that's a good segue into the into a one-dimensional human being uh, who I don't even know if he has blood in his system. Uh, this weekend, wow. <laughs> I'll just say that. Uh, you know, everybody was getting ready for the, for the uh, presidential debate between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. But right before that happened, like about 24 hours before or so, a tape was leaked from Access Hollywood, a 2005 tape of Donald Trump on a bus. First of all, I didn't know Access Hollywood had a bus. Apparently they have a bus. (laughs) I don't know if it's like a public bus or a city bus. Uh, Where uh, Donald Trump and Billy Bush, who at that point was the host of Access Hollywood, and they were on a bus having what has been charitably described as locker room talk. Ugh, I hate that phrase. Yeah. I mean, really, it was like... Tales of sexual assault. It wasn't really locker room talk. Pretty much. Yeah, I, I'd like to really, in defense of locker room talk a little bit, I feel like I'm not... Yeah, I'm, tell us about that. <laughs> what locker room talk is, is usually teenage boys in a locker room talking about things they've never done. Like, I feel like that, when I say <laughs> locker room talk, I mean men in locker rooms bragging about things that haven't happened. So they're, they're like sitting in there and they're like, well, I've never given a high school girl the opportunity to explore what beauty means to her before I project my images of beauty on her. Yeah, it wasn't quite that complicated, but yes. <laughs> it's exactly right. I'm glad you're here today, Zara. <laughs> uh, I mean, to me, or, like... Or like, are they like, oh, guys, I really want to talk about how I'm getting a C in class and I don't feel like that's okay because I'm a white male. I shouldn't be just complacent with that. I, I feel like I should be more competitive. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is, this is, that's maybe the, you were talking about the subtext of locker room talk. That's what you want to say. Hey guys, I feel alone. Uh, (laughs) my body's changing and I'm having a lot of experiences I'm not sure about. And I would like to have an open conversation about that, but I'm afraid of that conversation because a lot of messages have been sold to me that I shouldn't have that open conversation. So instead I'm going to talk about sexual activities with women who I don't know and have never and am afraid to talk to, but I'm going to act like I've done a lot of things. It is based off locker room talk as a phrase. It feels like maybe that's like a really useful space to just catch rapists. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. I think we have to divide between locker room talk, which is nonsense, and and bragging about sexual assault. Like I if think. people are just going to be like, hey, I'm a rapist. Please put me away. Lock me away. Yeah. And I feel like Donald I Trump I would like is, to register. Yeah. Donald Trump has, has, this is not locker room talk He's, when you're sort of giving your sexual assault resume. I feel like everything Donald Trump says is basically like, help me. I'm trying to 
like what do they say about like serial killers that are trying to get caught oh yeah they like leave clues yeah <laughs> like every time he opens his mouth the subtext is like someone please put me away someone please i can't how much more come get me come get me i, I, I stop me before i do something again it is what's happening here. Uh, and and so out of this, though, as often happens with horrible situations like this, first of all, let's talk about, like, currently the the least likely loser here mm. uh, is Donald Trump. A loser is Billy Bush. Like, Billy Bush, who I think it's hilarious that this dude was on the bus. Yeah, Donald. Yeah, man. Like, being his, like, Robin to Donald Trump's uh, sexual assault Batman. And and Billy Bush, like, gets off the, yeah, man, and then tells, uh, tells the woman to hug. Ugh. He tells the actress to hug Trump. We're ready. Let's go. Make me a soap star. How about a little hug for the Donald? You just got off the bus. Like a little okay, hug, absolutely. <laughs> Melania said hug this was bushy. okay. Just... Oh my God, Kamau! Can I talk to you about how much I hate it when men ask for hugs? Uh, yes, you can. It's messed up. Stop doing it. Yeah. Like a a woman will hug you if she wants. There's nothing grosser. I know you want to feel my boobs. <laughs> I know we are pancaking that. I know. I know, and I hate it. And I hate it. The whole time that I'm just smiling, I hate it. All of you men that I've ever hugged in my life. Well, no, that's a little far, but. Every man who's, 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 uh, who said, come and bring it in for a hug. Ugh. Oh, that phrase, that phrase, that's the phrase. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to use the phrase. I, it's funny because I feel, it made me feel weird about the fact because I am a hugger. I've described myself actively as a hugger. And now I'm like, I got to really make sure I'm, I'm saying this correctly, like not hug me. Like, I don't think I do that. I think no. I'm available for hugs if you need a hug. Well, yeah. And you also don't say things like, come bring it in here. Yeah. <laughs> Let me make this last a little while longer. Oh uh, yeah, I I think I yeah I don't do the thing where you hug and then you rock back and forth slowly. I I, I steer clear of that. Oh. I hug and I detach. I hug and I. Detach. And you know what else? The other thing that really struck me is how because Donald Trump is like this older guy and he's like making it basically okay for Billy Bush to go further. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, just like you know, presidents are role models. Just putting that out there. Well, that's, a, that's I'm glad you brought that up, Zara, because I feel like people have said a lot of this defense of what Donald Trump said, and we'll get to the debates in a second. Defense of what is like this is what men talk about in locker rooms. Again, like, the locker room talk. This is what men talk now. And I'm going to say this. I've seen a lot of men online say like I don't have that talk, or I've never been around that talk. I can't say that. I can't say that I've never said inappropriate things about women. I can't say that I've never been around guys who said really inappropriate things and have said things that made me feel like, man, I think you actually did that thing. And I think I should probably tell somebody. I, I absolutely cannot act like I haven't been around that. I will say this. I would not vote for any of those dudes for president. I think that's where we got to get to. Like It's like it's not that no guy, he's the only guy who's ever said this. It's the fact that like as soon as I hear dudes talk like that, I go, well, you're disqualified to be the president of this country. That's what literally goes to my mind. And I'm even disqualifying myself. I've said and done too many things to think that I would be a good president. <laughs> like I just feel like I, 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 I feel like we have to get beyond the fact that this is what all does do. No, some dudes do this. And that's part of what disqualifies you from being a, a a leader is when you've said and done too many things you shouldn't say and do. Yeah, I, there's also this like really weird like false equivalency that's happening where it's like, but Bill Clinton, yeah, which he was impeached. <laughs> yes, he was already president. Yeah, we didn't know any like past history about him. In well, this regard. some of us didn't know. Some people did, but it wasn't as public as it is. The information wasn't public. Yeah. They weren't like saying, hey, it's locker room talk on a presidential election debate like yeah. a couple weeks before the election. That didn't happen. And I think I'm glad you brought that up too. I also think it's time for us to say 
if Bill Clinton, if young, if Bill Clinton from back in the day was running for president now, he probably wouldn't win because of what we know. You know what right. I'm saying? Like the information that existed before, we couldn't get to all of it because there was no social media. Yeah. There wasn't the ability for like there's women who were victimized by Bill Clinton speaking out on Twitter. Like that didn't exist. They didn't have any path to the press really. No. And so I feel like, well, yeah, I think we have to accept that. Yeah, Bill Clinton probably wouldn't be president. Now, if he was running now, is young Bill Clinton. He, if he was running now, he would lose to Hillary Clinton. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. That's the greatest fan fiction start ever. <laughs> like, <laughs> Bill Clinton versus Hillary Clinton. Young Bill Clinton versus current Hillary Clinton. Oh, yeah. I think, oh, wow. That's a... He would like, lose Bill Clinton so was in his prime versus Hillary Clinton now in her sort of presidential prime. Man, that's a great... She would kill him. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She would be... And she'd be able to say a lot of things she's saying about Trump about him. So before we uh, get too deep into this, you watched the debates. I did. What are your thoughts on the debate? If by watch the debate you meant like my heart was in my chest and I was terrified and I was holding my Muslim informant ISIS pussy <laughs> out of sheer terror. Yeah, I watched the debates. It's funny. I was watching. I was with Melissa, uh, my wife, who you know, and uh, as I see at Jeremy and Keeley's house, and we, they had some friends over too. And I feel like when it was when it ended, we all just went. <sighs> like there was no sense of like oh yay or or she got him or it was just like this is democracy. We were straight up pacing. <laughs> there were moments where like each one of us got up and just was like pacing. Yeah. Me and my mom and my dad watched it all together. Uh, they did not appreciate that I was taking photos of my pussy, saying I'm grabbing my pussy, I'm grabbing my pussy. <laughs> Wait, were you? Yeah. Were they? Were they? Were you putting them out? I mean, I was scared. Okay, and that's how you dealt with your fear. Yeah, I okay. felt like my Muslim ISIS informant pussy, and I needed to hold each other. Okay, all right. <laughs> well, that's true because you, you got to hold it before he gets there. Ugh, ugh, ugh. I mean, uh, so you're a, you're a Hillary supporter? I'm I'm assuming. I am. I mean, I'm like that Hillary supporter that's like, yay! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> of the choices I have, this is clearly the better one. But if I had more choices, I might pick someone else. Yay! I'm with her. I can neither confirm nor deny. Okay. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> one of the other things that kept happening in the debate, like, here's the other thing. As a First of all, I have two things on my bucket list, so I feel like I can't lose. One, dislikable women in positions of power. Already, she wins for me. Oh, oh! so you like that? Yes. Okay, you like dislikable women in positions of power. That sounds like a reality show that somebody's going to pitch to uh, Oxygen or Bravo. Oh, interesting. Maybe they should also run for president because <laughs> that's a thing. And then two, to see the end of the world before I die. Oh, those are two things on your bucket list? So yes. either way, depending on how the selection goes, Hillary wins. You get a dislikable woman in a position of power or you get Donald Trump who's going to be, as he said today on Twitter, because the other thing we got to talk about is that uh, since the Access Hollywood tape came out and since his debate performance, G- GOP leaders are fleeing him in record numbers. And by record, I mean way more than one, uh, including Speaker of the House Paul Ryan, who is, <laughs> who is just like, I'm only campaigning for the bottom of the ticket. I'm not campaigning for the top of the ticket. I think it's so great that he's like, I just want to make it clear. Uh, I'm only campaigning for the bottom of the ticket. I'm not. And then Trump tweeted out, and this is the sc- this may be the scariest tweet I've ever read. It is so nice that the shackles have been taken off me and I can now fight for America the way I want to. Do you guys keep a vomit bucket around? (laughs) 
I feel like, do you mean fight for America or do you mean fight America? Is that what you mean? I'm, now I can fight America the way I want to because I feel like everything you're doing is fighting America. It's Ugh. fighting the future of America. This, this is where I'm just like, see, okay, this is the problem with reverse racism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what was that again? But it's like this... It, the fact that that phrase exists even, I feel like, opens the door for these kinds of conversations. I don't know. Is that going too far? No, no, no. I think, but how are you connecting that to the tweet? What do you mean? Oh, just the the notion of him wearing shackles. Oh, wow. Oh, I didn't even... Thank you for bringing that around. Man, how did I miss that? He doesn't, he doesn't get to say shackles. He doesn't get to say shackles. <laughs> Man, Zara, I feel like I totally, I didn't, I would, this is the problem with Trump. There's so much awful that sometimes you miss awful that you normally <laughs> would have picked up on. I would normally would have picked up on the shackle thing, but I was totally, I totally missed it. You repressed it. Well, well, Zara, thank you for coming in and talking to us about this debate since Harry refused to show up today. Maybe he's just called in because he won't talk about Trump. If he uh, just isn't around and I'm always around, that's a thing that's available. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, also, I encourage people to check out your podcast, Good Muslim, Bad Muslim, and read your the piece you wrote in Bitch Media. Thanks, Kamal. Bye, Hari. <laughs> and now we take you to our interview with Las Cafeteras. Again, this is another one of the Redford recordings. Redford recordings. Uh, this is a conversation that we had with Las Cafeteras at the Opportunity Agenda, as we said before. This is where we talked to Dream Hampton and Jaziri X. And this is a great conversation with Las Cafeteras. Just to let you know, Las Cafeterias has a new album out. It's not coming out until February, but we're going to have some of the music in this episode, so you get to get your palate uh, wetted. Is that a word? Uh, be on the lookout for that new album. Las Cafeterias is one of my favorite bands currently out there, and it was a great interview. They're a much bigger band. I think there's six of them. We had three in the studio, uh, so check them out. We were laughing a lot. We probably cross-talked a lot, but we had a good time. There's a lot of good stuff in this interview. Let's get Las Cafeterias in here. We're here once again from the uh, Opportunity Agenda Creative Change Retreat in Sundance, Utah. Hey. And those voices you heard in almost harmony. <laughs> you do much better on stage. Yeah. That's uh, the name of our next album, Almost, almost Harmony. harmony. <laughs> like Bone Thugs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bone Thugs and Almost Harmony. <laughs> Uh, we're here with uh, Las Cafeteras, but half. Is this half of Las yeah, Cafeteras? Exactly. this is half. So uh, please go around the mics and introduce yourselves to the people. Hey, hey, world. My name is Leah Rose Gallegos. I play Quijada. I sing and I dance zapateado. Ciao, ciao. What's up, world? My name is David Flores. I play uh, Requinto Jarocho in the group. It's like a small guitar, uh, a Mexican guitar from Southern Veracruz. And I'm the, the doctoral student in the group, UCLA, Chicano yeah. Studies. Hey, trying to get out of this music game. He let people know. I, I also have paid. I also, to get paid. I also yeah, got a brain. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. I've been saying that for years. Every time I want to quit comedy, let me look into PhD programs. Yeah. You're, you're serious about yeah. it. I also like he assumes that we don't have a lot of Sonia Horocho fans. Oh. So he's got to translate. Do you know this is not broadcast? This podcast is translated into Spanish and broadcast. It's the biggest political podcast hosted by a black guy in the South. Asian guy yeah, in Mexico. Yeah, yeah. Hey, look, you're like top 20. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Top 20. Top 20 podcast. Of that specific black guy and South Asian guy. Oh, and I'm the last. Uh, my name is Hector Flores. I play the Harana Tercera and I dance and uh, I MC with the with the crew Las Cafeteras. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, now I'm going to say, what is that instrument you just said? Could you translate into? Oh, the Harana? Yeah. Oh, the Harana is basically... <laughs> 
if you think of a harana, it's a wooden instrument. It's an eight string, and it's the rhythm guitar for Son Jarocho music. Son Jarocho music comes from Southern Veracruz, and it's tuned like a ukulele, and it's made out of one piece of wood. And uh, the you know the it, it was like indigenous folks made it, and Mexican folks made it in the southern coast of Veracruz, and we play Afro Mexican music. And you are much like I try to be, and Harry tries to be, sort of artists who are also engaged in the movement, yeah. uh, you know, in the political, in the moment, in the political moment. And so, you know, we've talked about this off mic a, a good bit, but I feel like we should, we can have that same conversation. I feel like we'll have this conversation for the rest of our lives, like what it's like to be a creative artist who cares and wants to help the movement. I mean, I think for most of us, we grew up in the movement. And so it was really natural for us because we found music in our 20s, like totally randomly, this music kind of appeared in our hands and we had the opportunity to learn it. And then organically, people were asking us to perform it and perform it more. And the stage kind of grew and grew. And then we were you know, performing at performing arts centers and Montreal Jazz Festival, yeah. Santa Barbara Bowl, and and I think things. because we come from the movement, because we grew up. Um, I mean, myself, I didn't grow up with religion per se, but I grew up looking up to people like Cesar Chavez and Martin Luther King, and so that was my upbringing. So when we have these music, uh, these instruments, all of a sudden, I think it was very natural for us to sing about that experience where we come from the things that we've encountered as a people and as a community um, and what's happening right now. Uh, it's, yeah. it's super interesting too, because uh, when we started sort of great, getting a bigger audience, getting more sort of uh, publicity, people say, oh, so like um, you're, you're a political band mm -hmm. and uh, where does the politics come from? And we never ever called ourselves a political band. Yeah, we never said that. No, yeah. we never said, "Hey, everybody, we're like the new political band on the street." You know? <laughs> yeah. But it's crazy because when we're talking about, uh, like, my mom crossed the border when she was fourteen. You know, when we talk about immigration, when we talk about police brutality, we'd say, you know, in one of the songs, "Yo no soy por la guerra." not for the war um these are our experiences but when they're not part of the dominant narrative in the united states all of right. a sudden becomes radical stories yeah. or our my mama's story becomes a political story it's not it's just a story of a you know of a migrant woman you know traveling with her family trying to survive and uh but it's interesting how people then label it yeah. you know and say oh now you're a political band well we're just storytellers man mm -hmm. i'm just telling you a story about my mama and that one time I got beat up by the cops in South Central Farm, and you know, and that's why you know things like that. It's mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah. Like, do y'all get labeled as political All comedians? All the time. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> it's something I think we both get quite like frustrated with. Because to me, it's not like I put a lens on. This is my political lens, yes. and I'm going to analyze this with a political lens. It's like, no, these are, these are my eyes, right? This is how I've been shaped. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm an observational comic, right? Mm. Maybe I'll watch a football game, and one comic is like. Huh, look at those funny helmets with those funny little symbols. And I'll look at him like, I wonder how many of these people have had concussions. I wonder what kind of health care they And that's my first thought, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. And that's my first observation. It's not like I'm thinking, let me try to make a political yeah. analysis. Yeah. So to separate those okay. things is ridiculous it to is me. It is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Also, we'd learn that uh, don't invite Hurry to your Super Bowl party. <laughs> 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 
Yeah, so I think I, I mean I feel like I come from the same place. I just started saying like, as a black guy, if you're if you have an opinion, you say it out loud, you become political. Mm. Yeah. You know, just because I was like, I have some thoughts. Look at this political guy. <laughs> right. But then I often found, luckily I don't do these shows much anymore. I would get put on shows of political comedy, and it would be like five white guys going like, "What are those idiots in Congress going to do next year?" <laughs> and me being like. You know, as a black man, and, people, and the audience would be like, hey, turn it down, come no, on, turn it, turn no, it down. No, 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 no. Yeah, that it's like, doesn't fit into the narrative of political comedy. So do you find that, do you ever find yourself sort of lumped in with, with bands or events where it's like they think you're going to do something other than just be a band who plays music? We're pretty hot during, uh, what is it, Hispanic Heritage? <laughs> <laughs> they love it, man. I'm going from one gig to the ah, next. Dude, the band is so milk? big you can split you guys up into two uh, bands just to cover wait, all which, the gigs. Which month is that? Uh, it's uh, mid-September, uh, mid-September, <laughs> mid-October. to the 15th. My big uh, month is uh, Asian History Month in April. Oh, April, May. Right? Do you get a lot in February? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The funny thing is, is when I like this February, I wasn't busy. I'm like, what happened? Yeah. I was, I was mad that I wasn't being objectified. Exactly. I was like, wait a minute, I should be. Why am I not working more? I'm never working in March. Give me March for what? I was like, I don't feel like I'm working enough this February. Oh man. Uh, and Day of the Dead too. Day of the Dead. Oh man. Now you know, and like everybody loves Day of the Dead. It's kind of like, oh, like. It's a hot thing now, and they're like, "Oh, we gotta get the the Latin band," you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, oh yeah, that's uh, become a mainstream thing. Yeah, you know, like, like, and I'm sure you're aware of the fact where Disney tried to uh, try to copyright, that. tried yeah. to copyright Day of the Dead. How do you copyright that? Yeah, what's Monsanto do all the time? They a try lot of things. They try patent. Oh they yeah, patent uh, seeds. You know the, the concept patent, of yeah, seeds. The concept that you can patent seeds. You know, so that anything that grows from that seed is then, you know, a property of Monsanto. Oh, yeah. And then, like, Disney was trying to copyright Day of the Dead, like, an indigenous celebration that survived colonialism, the Bush era, you know what I'm saying? But not Mickey Mouse, though. Mickey Mouse, man. survived capitalism. Although, people rose up and yeah, people right. spoke and Disney then realized, oh, that's not, we shouldn't do that. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's not, we shouldn't do that yet. Yeah, you can't, yeah, you can't oh, trademark <laughs> We should trademark Wednesday. Nobody's done that before. <laughs> Every time you're having a Wednesday, you give us some money. Cha-ching. I wouldn't pass it by them, man. I wouldn't pass it by them. Hey, everybody. I want to let you know about this great podcast from our friends over at WNYC. It's called The Sporkful. Every time you walk into a restaurant, you're bombarded with signals that tell you what kind of place it is and whether it's for you. This week, our friend Dan Pashman at the Sporkful Food Podcast is exploring those signals in a special series on race, culture, and food. It's called, Who Is This Restaurant For? He's asking questions like, What signals do the food, decor, and music in a restaurant send to different people? What happens when those signals make some people feel excluded? What judgments do we make about a place based on what the people inside look like? Can you make a restaurant for everyone? And if you could, is that even what people want? Also, I'm in it because I love talking about all those things. Me and Dan chop it up on an upcoming episode. And if Hari was on Politically Reactive right now, he would tell you about his brother Ashok, who was on Other People's Food, another series of shows The Sporkful did about other people's food. Anyway, please check it out. It's great. It's from WNYC. Go get it at your podcast places. I was asking Hari earlier when we were chopping it up, like uh, around like the comic world and to comedians who... You know, comedians who who basically have a conscience and who struggle with their comedy and also being with the movement and uh, do, are you close to other comics doing that? Or is it still mm. like, oh, you see them, but you don't really know each other. And, you know, we we're talking about the homies from Fear of a Brown Planet. 
Um, and they, which is a comedy duo in Australia. Yeah. I mean, they've since split up, but they are now yeah. separate comedians working it. Yeah. But like we, we know the homie like Felipe Esparza. Yeah, you know he won Last Comic Standing, and he's killing it. Yeah, he's killing it, man. And he's not someone I would call like a political comedian, sure. but like a lot of his comedy revolves around his, his identity. His identity. Yeah. You know, like as a first generation Mexicano, grew up in the projects, and it's hella funny, man. And uh, and he's someone that I think like. I, like we need to just be connected to, yeah, you know, and yeah. I think like uh, we need to see each other and support each other, and uh, you know, he said, and he he opened up for one of our shows, man, and it was and it killed, yeah, oh and yeah, then, yeah, you know yeah. what I'm oh, saying, I bet he did. you know, and then we opened up for his show, and, and like everybody it looked just took at us, five like, minutes. <laughs> 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 like, yeah. oh my god, if, was, if this was a video podcast, you could see my face, oh. Oh. Yeah, yeah, man. Like people, like they didn't move. They were like, "What the fuck well, is this?" For five minutes, For then five they minutes. gave in. Oh, they, yeah. We were like they all up in their face. Well, that's. I mean, I think you know. There's that. I mean, both those gigs are hard. Comedians opening for music can be hard, and yeah. music opening for comedy yes. certainly. Yeah. Yeah. But you know if. Because people are like, this isn't what I paid for. Yeah, man. Are they just going to be up there for a minute? Man, they're still up there. <laughs> oh, it's been five minutes, six minutes. I guess they're going to be up there for. I might as well enjoy myself. <laughs> I clap. But I'll clap. I, I mean, because also talk about this because there's there is a part of your music that you do mix like hip hop and sort of modern. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, uh, you know, S rhythms and sound. Yeah, yeah we do reggae, cumbia, yeah. hip hop, spoken word, all that. But it is based in Son Harocho, mm -hmm. which is a very you know, it's a traditional music. Do you ever feel like you're getting heat for being out of step? Like, why aren't you guys just a, like a, oh, yeah. a hip hop band? You know what I mean? Why aren't you just Since like, we just were born. Yeah. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I feel like sometimes as a, as a comedian who does the way I do it, there's a little bit of sometimes people act like, why are you, try, why are you trying to be Dick Gregory up in here? Uh, like, Dick yeah. Gregory is still being Dick Gregory somewhere. <laughs> I'm not trying to be him. But like, I'm not sort of like, just have a good time. Yeah, well, yeah. Back in the days, we, you know, when we first were coming up, we 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 identified as a Son Jarocho group. You know, we played traditional songs and stuff. I mean, wherever we would go, you'd be like, "You're not Son Jarocho," you know. You, you you're not. That. You guys suck oh. because you put us next to a traditional Son Jarocho group, and they're like ridiculously good, and they play it very traditional, and we play it with hip hop rhythms and things. Cool. You know, yeah, like yeah. And, and it, it's not easy. That's just who we are. You know yeah. what I mean? It's interesting. Like this, like we 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 identify as Chicano Chicana folks, right? First generation, but we have roots in Latin America, and we know our roots are African or indigenous or European, and so. But like being Chicano in the United States is also a culture of resistance. Mm. We fought for the rights of brown people. We fought for the right to speak Spanish. You know, we fought for the right to go to college, and so like as a people, we come from a culture of resistance. And then we started learning this traditional music, and we oh, clashed. We clashed, mm -hmm. man. Yeah. And sort of what was born is is yeah. us. Yeah. And I think I think um, that's what's happening in America right now. You're seeing a lot of clash mm -hmm. right now, and people and people are hella scared because mm -hmm. they don't know what what's going to be born. And I'm saying like, nah, man, it's time to be hella excited, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. about a new day. You know what I'm saying? And I think like. I mean, right now at the table, you know what I'm saying? We got a black homeboy, Indian homeboy, and Chicano folks right here all talking about our activism. Mm -hmm. Being watched by two white guys. <laughs> <laughs> our you know producers are really like, corner. This, this is like, this is, this is America, you know? Like, and for a lot of us, like, this is the beautiful America that, that we want to create. And for a yeah. lot of folks, I think it's America that they're afraid of. They're and definitely so, afraid of it. But like, but they laugh at your shows. Yeah. And, you know, they come to your shows and they dance to our music and, I think our job, you know, is like, there's a quote, is like, our job is to make the, the revolution irresistible, mm. you know? And revolution is not a bad thing. I think, you know, like, 
revolution is really about like like radical relationships. Just being able to say what's up to folks and be cool and not see each other as the other, you know? And that's what we try to do with our music. Like, if you dance to us, you know, like, then maybe you won't vote against Latinos the next time, like, you know, a ballot measure, <laughs> right. you know? Well, thanks for bringing up Donald Trump. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's talk about this current political moment because uh, there's the, the, the grow, you know, there's this acknowledgement of Latinos being, the Latino demographic being a growing force, especially now politicians on both sides of the aisle are like aware that you have to court Latinos. You can't just assume that they're going to vote Democratic or Republican because yeah, there's like, like sort of like this sort of happens with generations like older school people are usually more conservative and the younger people more liberal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're in this moment right now where the Republican Party has basically told black and brown folks, we, we don't need you. Mm. We're going we're, we're gonna to go this one without we you. We always hated you. And we'll just be more We're just going to be clear about it. I'm not speaking. No candidate's going to speak in Spanish. No, yeah, no, nobody's going yeah, to come to your cookout. Nobody's gonna, yeah, we're not going to play. And forget Indian people. Oh, no, no, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. no. Uh, But so talk about... About this moment like do you have i mean there's a way to frame this moment as a as a moment of fear with like you know president obama and this is what i learned through culture strike De- president obama was identified as the deporter in chief for a long time hold up wait a minute okay let's talk about the idea of deporter in chief can we everybody well obama got that nickname from people in the immigrant rights community and the undocumented workers community because he deported more than two and a half million people from the united states of america in six years The numbers of deportations are up 23% from when George W. Bush was in office. Remember him? He's supposed to be the bad guy. But at the same time, Obama is one of the champions of the DREAM Act. The DREAM Act is an acronym for Development, Relief, and Education for Alien Minors. The DREAM Act proposes a multi-phase process for undocumented immigrants in the United States that would first grant conditional residency and upon meeting further qualifications, permanent residency. So yeah, Obama is a big supporter of the DREAM Act, but he was also a big supporter of deported people. It's super complicated. And now, if he did a bad job, what happens when Trump comes through the door? I mean, you know, I think when Obama came up, what are we talking, eight years ago now, yeah. right? Like, I mean, how much hope, right? We talked about the hope and everything. And and for immigrant peoples, right, for for all of our communities, we saw how that didn't pan out the way it was supposed to, you know? And so you look at, you look at like when Bernie Sanders was coming up, it's like, man, we need something else, mm-hmm, you know? We, mm-hmm. it, it's, this isn't working, this two-party, right? And, and like you just said, if Obama wasn't helping us out, yeah. I mean, obviously, Trump ain't going to help us out. Obviously, we know about Hillary's record. Hold up. Wait a minute. When Hillary was first lady, she came off sort of as a moderate, which was how we defined it at this point. She was against, quote unquote, illegal immigrants, but didn't want to cut off services either. Uh, which I, I don't know that that's a moderate position, but we'll keep it going. Then in the 2000s, Hillary said she was adamantly against illegal aliens and voted to build a wall. Oh, I'm sorry, a fence on the U.S.-Mexico border. Uh, but then later she sponsored the DREAM Act. And then two years ago, she said that, that we should send the unaccompanied minors who were escaping violence in Central America back to their countries to, quote unquote, send a clear message that we don't like children. And today she pledges not to deport any illegal immigrants except for violent criminals and terrorists. Whew, I got whiplash and all that politics. And yeah, also, let's also make one thing clear. Don't call people illegal. That's not a that's not a noun. That's an adjective. No one is illegal. Everything is not is not po- uh, like 
polar. You know, it's not good and bad. Yeah. I'm not a good or bad person. I'm like, you know, I'm a, I'm a human being, right? And so politics or movement or Barack, like Barack Obama, like I can name a bunch of dope stuff he did. You know, like things that people don't even yeah. know. And then yeah. there's other things that he didn't do so well. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it was community, right? It was community and movements pushing, right? Nobody was talking about the top 1%, the, you know? Nobody yeah. was saying the 99% until right. Occupy happened. Exactly. And Occupy was not like this this one thing. Like there was thousands of Occupies with thousands of ideas and nobody agreed. But mm -hmm. but but there was the idea but that wealth there, inequality became but, a talking point exactly. on all the cable news stations. You know what I'm saying? And, and nobody was talking about that until then. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's really always been. I mean, we've had mad Republicans, you know, before <laughs> and, Trump. And we've had mad, mad Republicans. It was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we had more Republicans. And we've had white people before, you know, yeah. before Trump. So like like community dealing with repression is nothing new for us. Right. So we should see ourselves as a dominant force, no matter who the president is, and really building autonomous power. Like, my job is not to organize the U.S. My job is to organize my neighborhood, my friends, my family, you know, and be and having and pushing at that local level. You're only as strong on the national level as you are on that local level. And I think we've been doing, communities getting better at that, you know, but, but it's a new day and we need new strategies and we need more folks. And I think for us as artists, how do we make the revolution irresistible? Yeah. How do we make the movement irresistible and hella fun and yeah. hella funny and hella danceable? That's our, that's, I think, our role, you know, when we go out there, you know? Well, talk about the thing that happens to you, because this happens to me and me and Harry talk about this, where you, you feel like your job is to make the movement irresistible. I sometimes say, like, as a comedian, I'm like the... Uh, at the end of the hard day of fighting the revolution, I'm at the at the fireside chat making you laugh about what you just did all day. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, like, so I'm a part of it, but I'm like, I'm not. You did all the work, and I'm like, let's yeah, just yeah, have yeah. a good time. You know, the fireside chat of the revolution. So, but then sometimes I'll get pushed back you about we're not doing enough. Mm. You know, artists or like activists and organizers who feel like they're doing the work, they see. You know, even because at some point you become a celebrity, even if you don't think you're a celebrity. They see these quote on celebrity artists coming in and sort of wandering through and getting more credit or taking up more space when they feel like you're not. Do you ever get that pushback of you're not doing enough by the activists? I mean, I would, I, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it's human nature to have a lot of assumptions about everybody's intentions. Mm -hmm. um, it's human nature to point the finger at others or other things. Um, I think we we are our intention, Las Cafeteras, are really trying to be a positive force, really trying to like encourage and re-inspire and like re-energize people for whatever their their purpose is. Um, in sharing this message that we also believe. There's pushback, and I think like for us, that's helped us to grow. I, there was a lot of pushback before with us before we released our first album. And that helped us to really like take a step in who we wanted to be and where we wanted to go. And was that same... pushback related to the, the You're Not A Real Son Harocho band? Or was yeah, it yeah, yeah. yeah, Son Harocho. And I think also like our intentions of what we're doing are not doing enough. Um, and then again, like there's, there's still pushback. I think the more we grow, kind of the more pushback we get in some areas. Um, and we can take that and like, go one direction or we can take it and grow and i think what we're trying to do is really grow with it i mean i think if you get on stage and you don't say f the police 
like right then and there, yeah. it's like you ain't down enough, dog. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, like I'm getting to it. Just give yeah, me a second. Yeah, yeah. I got three more jokes, man. Yeah. I'm building. Yeah. I'm building. Yeah. And you know, we were in, we were in. Where were we the other day? At the, you know, the crowd, crowd full of like older white folks. You know, oh, yeah. And, yeah and sh- a, I mean, a sea of older white folks. Yes. And, Maybe bleep the location. Okay. Oh, no. We'll take care of it. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't fun, but we'd like to go back. <laughs> we made so we had a good show there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it let was, them know they got to step up their game. It's you know, not on you. The the point is, is you had. I mean, imagine at that place we said f the police right there and then at the top of our set. You know, like <laughs> what I think our music does is it open it opens hearts, and by the time people are leaving, you know, maybe they don't know exactly what was said. But th- I, it feels like something shifts, you know, yeah. and they're singing, yo no creo en fronteras. You know, it's like, we don't believe in borders, you yeah, know, yeah. like. But no, they're saying, yo no turn en fronteras. <laughs> yeah, it's something like that, a little bit closer, you know. And so something happens, you know, and like we all have different roles in this so-called revolution, you know. And mm-hmm. and the thing is, if we keep attacking each other about, yeah. hey, you ain't down enough, you ain't down enough. I think we all have to understand that all our roles are different. I know? mean, that's kind of the frustration is that like the people that are often like giving us the criticism are people that love us. Yeah. Like they're, they're activists, they're people who come to us for th- a catharsis, a break from everything. Yeah. And they're pushing, I think, sometimes out of love, mm-hmm. just like you can do more, we need you to do more. And sometimes out of ignorance, no idea how this works. And sometimes just to be assholes. I mean, sometimes that's also... That sounds like a great PowerPoint. You know? yeah, like, just, like, there's three kinds of people. There's love... <laughs> There's ignorance and then there's assholes. You know and, and they don't like uh, always appreciate the fact that what you're saying, like this isn't just for you. This isn't just uh, the, uh, you know, like you were saying, the fireside chat for that. It's, it's for a lot of people. We're trying to reach people. And sometimes the way to reach people, especially when we have a mixed crowd, is to like explain more, to open up, to allow for self-deprecation, to not hit them hard right off the top because yeah. then you lose them. Right. Yeah. That's just how, how it is. And it doesn't mean we're soft. That means we're just, we're tactful. Right. We have a strategy. Right. We've done this for a long yeah. time. Also, I think there's another thing people forget get especially when you're because there's a sort of like artist activist piece where you're like sort of you're sort of straddling these these worlds of like we actually all started this because we wanted to have a good time now it just so happens that we want to have a good time and use our brains at the same time but i think sometimes people see you having a good time and they think you know you're supposed to be right now you're supposed to be mad everybody's mad you know so yeah yeah, so it's it's interesting because we we say something there's a saying we have if we can't dance together then we can't move together Hmm. you know and so like at the end of the day, like, if we can dance together, we can break bread, you know, then we could talk about, like, hey, you know what? I want to have a safe neighborhood, you know, and I want a place where my, where my nephew and my niece mm. aren't attacked or, you know, by cops. And I think you feel the same way. I want to send my kids to, like, a good school. What about mm-hmm. you? Oh, you want the same? Yeah. And, like, if we can't even dance together, then we can't even talk about political anything mm-hmm. you know we can't even eat together and so i think part of of what we try to do and again with your comedy like folks laughing together huge. you know what i'm saying it's huge yeah it's big you know and uh you know we and on this next album we have like and i think we straddle the line of like americana too like we remixed a woody guthrie song this land is your land this land is your land so we start off folky and you know leah sings a beautiful intro and then we turn it into a, a norteño like Mexican yeah, song just like yeah. mash it up dude and gets wild and then like 
and it went at, when we played at the show is people like they're like they don't some people go crazy and other folks take a step i'm like what are you trying to do uh-huh. <laughs> and then but you they can't hold back from dancing we jump out in the crowd we start dancing with folks and yeah. More even like I, I see what you're trying to do. <laughs> I see you trying to do that. But and I'm I not think, gonna... but to be clear, also is we can always do more. All yeah. of us can always right. do more. And I think I don't want to let us off the hook and say we're doing enough. Mm-hmm. We can always do more, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. That's right. And so we have to be very clear that we're in this for the long run, right? And 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 what happens tomorrow doesn't doesn't define all of the work that we do. And art's not just something that magically appears. It takes a lot of work. It's you know I've had situations like you know I heard you talk about the prison industrial complex, but you left at Guantanamo. It's like (laughs) come on, (laughs) we're getting there. You ain't down enough. I don't have that joke right now. And that's it's not an appreciation of like this is yes, it can be a vehicle for activism. Art can be a vehicle to open minds, but that's not all it is. Word. It's also something that is joy. Yes. It is something that brings joy, that gives us joy, and it's that shared space, not even including the uh, the content, just the shared space where people are laughing or dancing. That in itself is really important, and it gets lost. I just want to acknowledge the fact that the guy who said we can do more, David, is a guy who's in a band and working on a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> so so what, he's, what he's really saying is you you all can do more. <laughs> You all can do more. I'm all I'm all loaded up right now. But everybody else here, go go back to school. What does it feel like, you know, as Latinos to be talked about all the time? Like there's this weird like the Latino voter. What are Latinos gonna do? What's gonna? I'm like, they they can understand you. Like you 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 ask people to speak English and understand English, and then you're talking to them as if they don't. Mm-hmm. What's stop talking about people? It's the same thing whenever they talk about uh, the the uh, the white major- the eventually the whites will be a minority. Mm-hmm. And it's like you don't think I can hear you? <laughs> you're talking about all of us right yeah, now. Yeah. Like what do you? Uh, and so the black is, vote. You the know black vote. Yeah. It's like yeah, what is it like to be a uh, what is it like to be an electoral pawn? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, I think, why we think storytelling is so important, right? Like, to to undermine the stereotypes, to undermine the single narrative that is always happening, right? Like, Felipe, Felipe Esparza has this dope joke. Oh, man, I don't like the stereotypes about Mexicans. We're not all hard workers. <laughs> Who started that shit? <laughs> shit, I'm lazy. I call in sick to an interview. You know, like he flips it, you know, and like, and that's, that's what we try to do. And that's what we encourage young people to do is tell your stories. Not to be lazy. Yeah. Not to be lazy. He based on his own thing. And he's figured out, he's figured out a way to make laziness work financially. (laughs) We can't all do that. We can't all do that. But I mean, we, we, we just gotta be making more media. You know, we gotta be, we gotta be talking to each other more, respecting each other's word and just, you know. It, sometimes the it, it's interesting because there's no such thing as a Latino vote. Right. Like there's so there's thousands of communities, and even like to somebody who says Latino, they might be thinking Mexican or they think about the Honduran family. You know, there's like little Chicano kids. There's folks who are mixed who are like Puerto Rican and black. You know, there's like it's just there's uh, there's no such thing, and so people for people to talk about it is also just undermining people it's undermining people's intelligence and at the same time trying to create something real that's not real right like black and white 
You know, like these are social constructs that people created just to give us power or deny us power. And like Latino vote, like there's a Latino person that embodies sort of characteristics or values is not real. Right. And so the more we share and write our own stories, our own poetry, our own books, the more we're able to break that down, you know, and and hopefully we're, you know, we feel we're part of that movement too, you know. I, I love you know, the, the thing you mentioned, Philippe Esparza's joke, just about like how people say we're hardworking and I'm lazy. I think that's important to acknowledge because I feel like part of the narrative is like, Often people of color are try are like glorified or turned yeah. into you know like scum, but there's an in between. You <laughs> yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Like I, joke. there's a lot of oppressed people I know that are also assholes. You know what I mean? And that's part of the human experience oh, is that you're not. I mean, every time you see a movie about black people in the 50s and 60s, it's about racism. Didn't people just fall in love? I'm sure somebody fought. Yeah. There's a love story somewhere in there. It's it's that frustrating male gaze of like male gaze, well, yeah, the white gaze, white, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. white but, male gaze, yeah, of just this is, um, you know, this is the only way we can see you. Yeah, this is the narrative, whether it's the left or the right. This is the narrative. Yes. I love that we that we're talking about the white male gaze when there's literally two white guys in the corner looking at <laughs> <laughs> behind us. <laughs> I, I said, called producers. <laughs> I said the phrase uh, "white gaze" once, and all of a sudden I'm like, I'm talking about like visual. Uh, I'm yeah, talking yeah, about. Yeah. So please don't write that wrong, because yeah, yeah, yeah. then I will get, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did be. Harry is very interested in what white gay men think of him. Right, yes. then, then all of a sudden I have to get our friend Guy Branham to like, Harry's a good guy. Yeah, 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 he has yeah. many white gay friends. <laughs> uh, well, thank you. We will certainly have you back. and Check and, out our new album. Yeah, look know? forward to the new yeah, album. Yeah. yeah, yeah, please. All right. Hey, Kamau, so what you learned today? I learned that Las Cavateras, much like me and Hari, and probably you, often get labeled as political, which sometimes can take some of the power out of the work, because people expect you to do things that you don't want to do or weren't intending on doing in the first place. Oh yeah, that sounds familiar. I learned you can get old white conservatives to say, I don't believe in borders, if you get them to sing it in Spanish. I learned that, Zara, you're really good at being my co-host, but I do kind of miss Hari. I miss him too. Yeah. Come back. Come back. I learned that I still don't want Donald Trump to be president. Well, technically, Zara, that wasn't part of the interview, but I'm going to let that go. I learned that I need to learn how to speak Spanish. I mean, I learned that before Las Cafeterias was off, but it's a good one. I learned when I met Las Cafeterias at Sundance to call myself a singer and a poet. I learned that I like Son Jarocho music, which I didn't know until I met Las Cafeterias, and now I'm all about it. I learned that I'm a huge Las Cafeterias fan. I learned that I'm a huger Las Cafeteras fan than you. I learned that I'm a huge Las Cafeteras fan. I learned that I'm a bigly Las Cafeteras fan. That's tremendous. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Sources say. Everybody's saying it. Bigly, bigly true. Tremendous. I learned that I'm really looking forward to Las Cafeteras' album. It's coming out in February. Well, that's going to do it for today's show. (laughs) Look at me. I'm back for the credits. Thanks to all of you who have commented on Twitter using the hashtag politically reactive. Just keep them coming through the election. And if you haven't done so, hit that subscribe button on whatever you're using to listen to this podcast right now. And maybe think about leaving us a nice little review. It is a super helpful way to spread the word about our show. And thanks again to those who already have. We really appreciate it. And just go five stars. Don't get complicated. Also, please go check out Las Cafeteras online to find out more music and tour dates at lascafeteras.com. 
They have a new full-length studio album out in February, some of which you've heard in this show. Look out for that. They're a great band, and they deserve all our support. And thanks to Zara Norbosh for stopping by. Please check out her amazing podcast with Taz Ahmed, Good Muslim, Bad Muslim. You can find out more about her writing and her performances at ZaraComedy.com. That's Z-A-H-R-A Comedy.com. Also, check out some of our other projects. Uh, I have an album out on Kill Rockstars called Mainstream American Comic, and Kamau is my label mate, and he has an album out called Semi-Prominent Negro, and it's, it's honestly, it's fantastic, and you should absolutely buy it, as well as Kamau's back catalog. He's, he's amazing. Also, uh, I'm touring. I would love for you all to come out. I'm in Pittsburgh on November 6th. Pittsburgh. I want to see you, Pittsburgh. It's my first time in your city, November 4th, Toronto, so, or as they say it in Toronto, Toronto, November 4th, These are I'm, being, I'm reading these out of, day, uh, out of order, uh, Philly, October 30th, we got, uh, we got New York, November 5th, Boston, November 12th, and coming up real soon, Houston on October 22nd, Dallas on October 23rd, come out, we want to see you. You can find more information on dates at hurrykundabolu.com. I've got some other cool projects, too, like my podcast, Denzel Washington is the Greatest Actor of All Time, period. My live radio show and podcast, Come Out Right Now, is about to have its one-year anniversary show. And joining me on stage will be one of the founders of Black Lives Matter, Alicia Garza, new Bay Area resident and host of Death, Sex, and Money, Anna Sale, and head writer for Inside Amy Schumer, Jesse Klein. That's a great show. It's on October 27th at the Norse Theater in San Francisco, but you can stream it at KALW.org, which is also where you can buy tickets. Also, I'm going on a stand-up comedy tour. October 13th, I'll be in D.C. October 14th, I'll be in New York City. October 15th, I'll be in Boston. And October 21st, I'll be in Portland, Oregon. There are still tickets available for all those shows, but they're going fast. So get them now. Politically Reactive is a production of First Look Media and distributed by Panoply. The team includes Nick Borenstein, Lisa Langang, Erica Mu, and Max Jacobs. The show is engineered by Ted Muldoon. Thanks again to the Opportunity Agenda for hosting their 2016 Creative Change Retreat and letting us do our podcast there. And also letting our producers come too. Thanks to Panoply for letting us use their studios today and thanks to Brontez Purnell for providing music for the show. 